Last Sunday I began by beginning to talk about coming into agreement with God. Perhaps the most liberating, perhaps the most important thing that you and I can learn to practice is to align ourselves continually, and, and that requires a continual adjustment. I'm amazed at the computer systems they have, navigational systems. Uh, there are navigational systems on cars now that uh, constantly monitor the surroundings. And I'm not fully trust, trusting those inventions at this point because they have had accidents. But you and I must learn to, if we're going to follow Christ, we must learn to constantly monitor. I don't mean be under a spirit of heaviness. I don't, I don't mean go around with a gloomy face. There's a little bit of a spirit of heaviness this morning because we talked about heavy things, didn't we? We talked about COVID. We talked about people moving away. We talked about Dwayne having brain surgery. We talked about some other folks that died. But to learn to agree with God means we must constantly monitor our situation, our mindset, our heart's desires, and, and, and continually repent. And I don't mean that in a negative, oh, woe is me, I'm such a horrible person. No, I, I don't mean that. I mean repentance means changing your mind so that what I say about Life or death or sickness or heaven or hell or COVID or Democrats or Republicans is, is subjected to the mind of Jesus. Learning to adapt our thinking into an agreement with him. That is in essence what he calls us to when he calls us to salvation. You see, salvation is a lot bigger than just my personal acknowledgement that I need a Savior, that I've sinned. You and I, and churches in the Western culture, to a, to a large degree, many have been taught that the summation of all of Christian experience is the moment you get saved. Now, the moment you get saved gives you life and ushers you into a whole new kingdom of living that is for eternity. That's a door into life. It's not the end of Christian life, it's the beginning of Christian life. Discipleship is learning to walk with Jesus. And so Jesus calls us to follow him as disciples. I want to read some scriptures with you. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. Can somebody quote that from memory? I, I read it to you last week. You hadn't memorized it yet. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Jesus said, come unto me all who are weary and heavily burdened. And I will give you, could you say that louder? I'm hard of hearing. Oh, thank you. You're getting it. I will give you rest. Take my See, you've already got this memorized almost, don't you? Matthew 11, 28, 29. Take my yoke 
upon you. And it will make it will knock your mic off. I apologize. Take my yoke upon you. And what? Huh? Learn to walk with me. Learn to adjust your step to my step. Learn to adjust your desires to my desires. Learn to adjust your thinking to my thinking. The call to salvation is a call to discipleship. You see, you can't separate verse 28 from verse 29. Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And you'll find rest for your souls. Stress is not an easy taskmaster. But Jesus is. Cancer is not an easy taskmaster. But Jesus is. Learn to walk in rhythm with me. The call to Jesus Christ is a call to personal devotion to Jesus Christ as Lord. That's who He is. He is Lord. And it is personal devotion to Him as the only Savior. That's what He does. He saves those who bow their knee to Him and accept Him as their Lord. Claim Him as their Savior. He gives them the gift of forgiveness of sins. He gives them the gift of spiritual life, eternal life, life that is God's kind of life. The life of the Holy Spirit being deposited within you and causing you to be alive in a way that can never die, even when this body dies. I want you to look with me in some passages of Scripture. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14 through 20. This is when Jesus called his first disciples. Mark 1, 14 through 20. Jesus had just been baptized and he had just begun to preach. He'd gone out into the wilderness. He'd been tempted and tested and resisted and he came back. And he took up the role that God gave him. Verse 14 says, After John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near at hand. Repent. Repent, 
Most people think of that as a, as a dirty word somehow. Listen, that's a clean word that will cleanse everybody who will do it. Most people think of that strictly in terms of their own personal sinful acts and actions. And certainly it covers that. But the repentance that God calls for has to do with the kingdom of God. You can't get into the kingdom of God without having your sins forgiven. You can't get into the kingdom of God without having the life of God within you. And so he, he causes us when we turn to Christ to be born of the Spirit. He forgives our sins and we enter into His kingdom. He takes us out of the kingdom of darkness, puts us into the kingdom of light. So learning to agree with God as a disciple, first of all, means entering into the kingdom of God by a choice and an action of your will, agreeing with His will about your sinfulness, but repenting, changing your mind, a fundamental change of your mind about who God is to you. And who is God? I don't know what this is about this morning. But we're going to find a better way to do that in the future. God willing, and I believe He is. Repentance is not just about my personal sins. Repentance is about the kingdom that I live in. It's about what I serve. It's about what occupies my life. It's about what gods I serve. Why Jesus said you cannot love, you can't serve mammon and serve God. You can't love money and love God. You cannot. It's not a matter of you should not. You can't. Repentance is a fundamental change of mind that reorients your entire life. It begins in a moment. It begins in a moment. But it lasts as a movement in your life throughout all of your earthly life. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe the good news. And the good news is, is that God loves you. He sent His Son to rescue out of the kingdom of darkness, bring you into the kingdom of light, bring you into His family to teach and train you and send you out to become a disciple maker. <clears throat> a fundamental change. Look at verse 16. As He was going by the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea. So they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, can you say that out loud? Follow me. Follow me. The follow me of Jesus is personally attach yourself to me. Connect to me. Yoke with me. I have a goal in mind for your life. I will make you become fishers of men. He didn't say, I'm going to send you out to fish for men immediately. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to reorient things in you. And he went along, <clears throat> saw these men. Look at verse 18. What's the response? 
Immediately, immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. Verse 19, going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they went away to follow him. And they, Jesus and these, went to Capernaum. Now, when we talk about discipleship, many people, and perhaps some of you, think that fishing for men, fishing for men and being a disciple are, are two different things. And that, that Jesus called these certain disciples, and when he says, make, go into all the world, make disciples, He's saying to them in Matthew 28, do what I've done. Go, do, go repeat the pattern I showed you. And make disciples of all the nations and baptize them and teach them all things that I commanded you. And we think that's this elite category of people. That's like Pastor Gary. He's gone to seminary. That's cult, God's called him. That's this person. But if you read the New Testament, you find out that everybody who followed Jesus were called first disciples. Long before they were called Christians, that's in Acts. That's in Acts over at Antioch. The disciples, the followers of Jesus who followed the way of Jesus, discipleship is for every person. God's call to salvation is a call to discipleship, to a personal devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord. In Matthew 7, verse 13 through 28, Jesus said, work hard. He's speaking to his disciples. Now, large crowds are coming to hear him, but he's speaking to his disciples. He says, work hard. Enter the narrow way. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. The way of least resistance will lead you to destruction in this world and damnation in the world to come. Follow the easy road and you will find that many follow that road. Self-fulfillment, self-everything, self, self, self. And you will find that you not only are going to lose your life here, you're going to lose it in the second death and the warns of hell as the path that the broad road leads to. And he says, enter into the narrow gate. The narrow road. What road is that? It is the road of conversion it is the road of repentance it is the road of conversion to converge to to converse something means to change it the narrow road is the road of discipleship it is the road of loyalty personal devotion to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and that road leads to life life here life there Spiritual life, eternal life, the Holy Spirit in you, your sins forgiven, 
and God's oversight of your life. Personal devotion to Jesus Christ. Salvation we are called to and the gate opens up wide on the path of discipleship for every person. Now hear me. The New Testament knows nothing of someone called to be saved but not to be a disciple. I know that that concept has filtered into a watered-down, man-centered gospel. When Jesus called you to be saved, he called you to be personally attached to him and to be discipled. There's some scriptures that I want to share with you about that. And I need you to look these up, write them down, because you're not going to get the full effect of this if you don't study them. Matthew 16. Verse 24. Now, two things have happened immediately prior to this. Number one, Peter has come to this great conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah and that he confesses his faith. And number two, Jesus began to talk about dying. And Peter took him aside and said, Never! And Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. In other words, Peter, you're letting Satan control your mind and your words and your thoughts. You you have a misguided affection because you're not seeking the things in the will of God. You're thinking through your own personal desires and Satan is working in that. Get behind me. Don't be a stumbling block to me. You're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. In verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must... It's just a mumble. Can you say it? If anyone comes after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Discipleship, personal devotion to Jesus Christ. Means that my love and your love for Christ, that Christ has to be above self. You know, we live in a world that is intoxicated with self.
It's your life. Do with it what you want. No. It's not your life. Yes, you're living it. When you came to Jesus Christ, you surrendered your life. And he gave you his life and planted it in you. You are no longer your own, the Bible says. You are bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. You belong to him. The right question is not, what do I want to do with my life? The right question is, God, what would you have me do with this life you've given me? Parents, are you teaching your young people that their life doesn't belong to them? It belongs to God. If you are, you're teaching them how to walk as a disciple. If you're teaching them that your life belongs to you, nobody should tell you what to do with your life and you alleviate, you, you eliminate Jesus from the equation, you are not teaching them discipleship, you're teaching them deception. A Christian's life belongs to him. Our Jesus must have the highest place, the highest loyalty in my life, above my own life. The question used to be when I was a teenager, I was saved when I was 12, 1966, and in Bible school the teacher said that year, I mean when you're six foot tall and you're in the sixth grade almost, you know, and you're in Bible school with all the little kids. It's kind of awkward. You're taller than the teacher. And the teacher said, how many of you, if the communists took over America and said, renounce Christ or die, how many of you would be willing to die for Jesus? What was... What was an out there question then is not so far out there now, is it? It's actually happened in places. Now, you know some of the school shootings? That's exactly the question that was asked in Oregon. That's exactly the question that has been posed. The school shootings have primarily been against Christians. And so I ask you this morning, how many of you would be willing to die for Christ my answer was I hope I would I think I would I hope I would and Jesus said if you're not willing to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me you can't be my disciple he is the supreme loyalty above all loyalties even the loyalty to our own life mama Daddy, would you give your life for Christ? Would you, you would give your life for your children. Would you give your life for Christ? Second scripture, Luke 14. Turn over there quickly. He tells a parable of 
of the guests and the ones who were invited turned him down and he said, go find the poor, the outcasts, the misfits, the people nobody wants, and invite them to the banquet, so my father's house. And in so, in so doing, he was telling the Jewish people who loved their religion but did not recognize or love the Son of God, claimed to love God but didn't love the Son. And the Bible very clearly says you can't love God whom you've not seen if you don't love his Son. And you can't love his Son unless you're willing to love others. And so he goes through that. And in verse 25, these great crowds are following him. And he turns and he says to them in verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Brother Garrett, does that mean God wants me to hate my family? No, that's not what it's saying. The word hate and the word love is used comparatively. What it says, if you're put in a position where you've got to choose Jesus or family, you can't be his disciple unless you're willing to choose him above family. And even your own life. Choose him above your own life. Your personal devotion to Jesus Christ must be above your personal devotion to family and or friends and or your own self. I would go on mission trips, and people would say, well, you shouldn't go there. You might die. Well, I don't want to die on a mission trip. My goodness. I got grandkids. I want to be around. I want to be preaching at 110. But Jesus didn't say you had to come back. He said you had to go. I don't know how God will test discipleship in your life. I know some of the ways he's tested it in my life. My son was on a stage with the youth of the mission team in Atlanta when the bomb, the night before the bomb went off in the Olympics. I could not get a hold of him on the phone that night or the next day. I knew he had been on that very stage. And as I'm driving down my way to New Orleans, going over the high-rise bridge of the bridge in Manchac, watching the sun come up that morning, tears in my eyes, I said, Lord, you love him more than I do, and I love him a lot. But at the end of the day, you didn't give him for me to keep for eternity. He belongs to you. I'd rather him die serving you than live serving himself. He didn't die. He wasn't on the stage. But it was a test for me. 
I don't know where God will test you, but every one of these will be tested in your life. Do you love Jesus as he said to Peter after the resurrection? Do you love Jesus? Do you love me more than these? I don't know if he meant the fish. I don't know if he meant the other disciples. I don't know what he meant, but whatever these were is a test of his own discipleship faith. And those who know Christ, who have exalted him and Lord in their life, you may stutter a little bit and stumble a little bit, but you're going to go through that test and pass it because you're an overcomer. And whatever test there are with, with COVID, whatever it affects the church, however it affects the world, is under the foot in the name of Jesus. And we are overcomers, and we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb of God. Christ goes on in Luke chapter 14. He tells about counting the cost. <clears throat> in verse 33, he said, you don't start a building without thinking about what it's going to cost. You don't go to war without estimating the cost am I here, here it is it's not so much that that you're going to estimate it costs this many billions of dollars what it's saying basically is are you willing to spend everything you have in order to accomplish what you set out to do because he sums it up he says so none of you can be my disciple none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. See, Brother Gary, does he want me to sleep under a bridge with no clothes and no car? I mean, maybe. I don't know. But I know this. If he calls you to it and you're his disciple, you'll do it. A.W. Tozer said many years ago, and I read as a young man, he had a five vows for spiritual power in your life. One of those was never to own anything. Now, he did not mean don't have a car, don't have a house. But it means whatever you possess, transfer the ownership of that to God. So that all that you possess belongs to him. And you don't possess it. You become a steward of it. Now folks, when we talk about tithing. You're not giving to God what is yours when you tithe. You're giving to God what's already his. That he's allowing you to have. And you're honoring him with a portion of it. But the New Testament says, if God says all of it, you give him all of it. Because you gave him all of it before you ever had to get rid of it. Does that make any sense? <clears throat> John 8, 31, 32. Some of you ought to have that memorized. Who's got it memorized? Say it out loud. John 8, 31, 32. If you abide or remain in my words, and my words abide or remain in you. 
In other words, he's talking about the teachings of Jesus that we've taken to heart in order to practice. And we keep those words and those practices within our life, and we walk them out in our daily practice. None of us are perfect of that. It is an ongoing process throughout your whole life on earth. I thought when I get to be 60, it'll get easier. My goodness. I didn't, I didn't know it would be this hard. You, you keep those words, and you overcome as you continue to walk your life out living under the word of Jesus that he's put in us and we put ourselves in it. He said, if you do this, you will be my disciples in deeds. You won't be like the person in the parable of the sower and the seed, the, the seed that was sown on rocky soil and was there for a moment. Had a conversion experience but never got baptized false conversion had an experience of raising your hand having an emotional moment but never walked with Jesus or the one who took the word in but because their life got so busy with stuff with wealth and money and cares weeds came up in their life and choked the word out so that it was never fruitful not that but the one who took the word in with a good heart and continued to walk, you'll prove yourself to be my disciple indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I want you to hear me. Self-help books may help you a little bit, but at the end of the day, you don't need to know what Dr. Dennis said or what Dr. Jeremiah said or Dr. anybody else said. You need God's word in you, And you in his word. And if you do, you will learn how to live a life full of freedom in Christ. Disciples indeed. I'm going to share just a couple other things with you about discipleship. I'm going to close out. John 15, verse 4 through 8. John 15, 4 through 8. Jesus is talking about the fact that we're connected to him, that our life flows from him, so we have to remain connected to him, and his life flows into us. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh is no longer me living. It is Christ in me. See, when you come to Christ, his life begins to flow in you. Discipleship is the process of learning to allow Jesus full access to my life to my thinking, to my thoughts, to everything I do, my actions. So I'm responding to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus' word, and I'm staying connected in them so that my life becomes his life in me flowing through me. So I can never claim anything that I do that works out right, I can never claim credit for it because it's not me, it's him. Jesus said the works I do, I don't do. It's my Father working in me. The same is true for us. 
Jesus said, <clears throat> John 15, 4, Abide in me, remain in me. Stay vitally linked and connected to me, and I in you. And as the branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, stays connected to the vine that has the roots, that sends up the food, <clears throat> that causes the branch to grow and produce fruit. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch, dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so, so what? Say it again. Prove that you're my disciples. <clears throat> Discipleship produces an abiding in Christ so that his life flows in us and through us and produces fruit for him. Now I want you to go back to what Jesus said early on when he called the, his first disciples, they were fishing for fish, and he had told them one of the stories, put your net over there, and they caught so many fish, they caught so many fish, they didn't know what to do with them, and he said, from now on, follow me, and from now on, you're going to be fishing not for fish, but for men, what's he talking about, he's talking about his mission, a view of discipleship that does not connect you with evangelism and with the mission of Jesus is a false view or an inadequate view of discipleship. Every disciple, every disciple is expected by God to be fruitful as they walk in his life. The fruit of a Christian, well, there's the fruit of the Spirit, gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, things there's no law about, Jesus develops those in our, our life. But if the Spirit is in your life, He not only produces those, but He produces in you a love for the things that God loves for, and the fruit of a Christian is other Christians. God set the world up in such a way that apple trees bear apples. He declared in Genesis, every plant will bring forth seed and the seed will produce like plants you don't plant a butter bean and grow corn the fruit of Christians following Christ is other disciples discipleship is best taken and learned in the way of Jesus through small group ministries connected to Christ and connected to the large group of believers. In this time of COVID, Pastor Dave and I have been thinking, in fact, I've been thinking about this for 49 plus years. I've come across, through praying, a journal 
52 weeks. One chapter a day, five days a week. And you write down as you look, it helps you to learn how to ask questions. Now listen, I am not putting down on quarterlies. The problem with quarterlies is if all you do is read the quarterly, you're probably not going to grow a lot because you're depending on other people to tell you what the Scripture says. When God wants the Holy Spirit to teach you, they can be a helpful resource. I'm not anti-education, my goodness. I teach master's level courses. But education alone is not discipleship. Discipleship involves a sense of accountability with other people. Discipleship works best in small groups connected. Jesus told the disciples, go make disciples. Paul made disciples and he told those disciples in 2 Timothy 2.2, the things that you've learned from me entrust to others who will in turn be able to take those and entrust to others. I was fortunate. I have a pastor who discipled me. Personally, you can't take personal interaction out of discipleship. Sunday school teachers, God has called you to not only to teach the quarterly, but to teach the Bible. And not only to teach the Bible, but to be connected to those as disciples in your care to bring them along. During this time of COVID, I found this, and I think it could be used with children in the home, parents and children in your group of safety. It could be used in the coffee shop whenever COVID goes away, or for those who don't care if COVID goes away and don't drink coffee anyway at the shop. It can be used in a Sunday school class, 52 weeks. There's four of them, and in four years, a group could go through the entire Bible in a discipleship setting, teaching you how to ask questions of the Scripture and think about what's in the Scripture and respond to it, teaching you how to become courageous and competent to connect and interact with others. In other words, basically teaching you how to walk as a disciple. My invitation to you this morning is simply this. One, have you come to Christ and received life? Are you walking in step with Him? If not, maybe you've come part of the way. Maybe you've come and you've said, I'm coming to get that rest. I'm coming to get that rest. I want that rest. But Lord, I, I, I'm not too sure about that sticking my neck in the, in the loop. I, I kind of want to do what I want to do. You know, I wish I had good news and say, you just go on and do whatever you want to do. And, and God knows and understands. And, but everything I read in the New Testament, those who overcome are those who are saved. And those who... Don't overcome are the ones who didn't get the full dosage of Christ. When you come to Christ, you lay yourself down. You take him as Lord. I understand you don't understand all of that at one time necessarily. But are you willing to take Jesus Christ for all you know to him to be as your Lord and Savior? And follow him and learn how to live life as he shows you. Number two. 
Are you willing this morning to say, Lord, I love you. I hear you calling me to be discipled. I asked seminary students and pastors, how many of you had a pastor or someone, a person, a person who personally invested in you and personally discipled you? And woefully, sadly, almost none. Church, if we fail there, we fail. And maybe one of the things that's wrong with Christianity in America is the failure to personally disciple people. I can't disciple 500 people, but I can disciple 5 to 10 people. And some of you can too. During this COVID, if you would be interested in learning more about this or being connected to a disciple group, send me a text or write it on the yellow card. Will you this morning as a Christian, will you renew or are will you commit yourself to say, Lord, you've challenged me at this point and I want to be your follower. I want to learn to win souls. I want to learn to be fruitful. I want to learn to walk in you. Pray with me. The journey of a thousand miles began with agreeing with God about where the road leads and what road to be on. The road to Jesus Christ, when you come to him, it ushers you into the road of discipleship. And it bids you place the supreme value of your life, of your existence, on Christ above all. It bids you, as you live out your life in whatever vocation you have, to see your life as a platform for reaching people and making disciples who love Jesus the way that you and I are called to love him. Father, I preach all this this morning knowing that I am not, I am not the perfect model knowing that I've failed in many ways to make disciples over these last 50 years almost of preaching. But, oh, God, with such a desire this morning to not only be a disciple, but to be a disciple-maker who makes disciples who makes disciples. Help our church with all the many wonderful things about our church. Help our church to hear your voice and find new passion, new passion for investing in eternal life of others and the discipleship of others. Bring us through COVID. Don't let Satan rob us of our ministry that you gave us. Even during COVID, use us, oh God, and deliver us from this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and would you sing with us? This is a time of invitation. It is a time when you and I are called and bid by God to a continual reaffirming of the Lordship of Christ and a continual realigning to come into agreement with what God says in our lives and where he leads us.
our response ought to be surrender. Even if we're afraid, surrender. Because why? We trust our Lord who died for us. Perhaps you need to come and kneel at this altar. I don't know. Perhaps you need to sit down where you're at and pray. Maybe you just need to stand where you are. Whatever you do in response in here, it is the response when you leave here that is going to make the difference in your life and in the lives of other people. Will you, will you surrender your life to not only be a disciple, but to become a disciple maker? Thank you so much for being here. 
His name is above every name. Do you remember when you were a kid and you got your dad's shoes and put your feet in those shoes and tried to walk in them big boats? You tried to walk in his steps. There are people who will look to you to help them learn how to walk like Christ. I'm grateful. I sat in deacon's meeting last Sunday afternoon, and I listened to our men, and one of our men began to talk about the people who are going to be living in these trailers, these mobile homes, and how our church needs to be thinking about how we're going to reach people. God's sending them into our community. We're going to reach them. And I heard our deacons talk about Colt and Julius and how to be a blessing to them and how to help them and how to invest in their lives. And I said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for letting me be a part of this group of disciples. Being a part of Zion Hill is to be a part of a group of disciples and disciple makers. What I've shared with you this morning is not to say you're not. You are more than any place I've been in my 50 years, 49 years plus of ministry. I'm asking us to think intentionally about people that we can lead to Christ and help to help them become people who lead others to Christ, to know Him and to follow Him. Thank you for who you are, for God's work in you. And as you go today, COVID is here. This too will pass. His name is above all names. Will you say that with me? His name is above all names. Once more, His name is above all names. And what is His name? Jesus. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Go with us as we go from here. Scatter us to where you send us so that we can be light in the world and salt in the world around us. Draw our hearts continually to you to your Holy Spirit, to your word, and let us prove ourselves by your grace to be followers of Jesus who are fruitful. In his name we pray, amen. Please get in touch with me if you would like to find out more about possibly becoming a part of a discipleship group, even on Zoom or online if necessary. Get in touch with me. Thank you.